Welcome to Pedagogue, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, Sid Dobrin talks about artificial intelligence and writing, eco-composition, eco-criticism, augmented reality, the Trace Innovation Initiative, and post-humanist theory. Sid Dobrin is professor and chair of the Department of English at the University of Florida. His research focuses on three distinct but overlapping subjects, the ecological properties of writing, eco-criticism and eco-composition, including questions of oceanic criticism, and the relationship between writing and emerging technologies, including questions of contemporary digital and visual screen culture. Dobrin is also director of the Trace Innovation Initiative, a research hub that studies emerging writing technologies, such as augmented reality and virtual reality applications, comic forms and scholarship, writing, ecology, and other cool stuff. Dobrin has been named a digital thought leader by Adobe, and he serves as chair of the American Sport Fishing Association's Advocacy Committee. Sid, thanks so much for joining us. Your research and teaching interests include eco-criticism and technologies such as artificial intelligence, augmented reality, and virtual reality. Can you talk about your research on AI and how emerging technologies influence your approach to teaching writing? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I want to make a little caveat about the AI thing. So University of Florida um, recently started a a campus-wide artificial intelligence initiative. Um, And even though my interest in AI had begun prior to that initiative, UF is really pushing to become the national, if not global leader in applied AI uh, education. So AI conversations are very prevalent here right now. Um, I have a new collection coming out with Parlor Press soon about artificial intelligence and the humanities. So it's something I've been working on and thinking a lot about lately. Uh, from a variety of different angles. And I think in terms of my compositional background and how I think about writing um, and how I think about AI, I think one of the things I've sort of come to, I won't call it a conclusion, but something that's sort of framing my thinking these days is that those of us particularly working in digital humanities, there are sort of two ways we can talk about artificial intelligence. And I, you know, I suppose retroactively two ways we could be talking about any kind of emerging technology. And I know it's very reductive, but I tend to think about artificial intelligence from the composition side and from the humanities side, either from what we might call the theoretical position, where a lot of us are thinking about, you know, how is AI going to be used? What are the critiques of AI? How is it going to be implemented? And then the other part of that is, and this is driven by UF's AI initiative, how do we apply AI? How are, there, are those of us working in the humanities and in composition going to actually use AI in the work that we're doing? Um, and I think there are a lot of different avenues there for how that's going to happen. So, you know, in terms of my own teaching, what that influences, and I, I do want to offer also a caveat here that, um, you know, with my role as chair, I have not taught very many undergraduate courses in the last several years. However, two years ago, I taught a course that I am also teaching beginning this fall called um, uh, Digital Literacy in the Humanities. And so we'll be taking up AI from these perspectives in that class. And so we'll be talking a lot about how is it that we're thinking about AI and how are we thinking about AI as a writing environment? You know, a lot of the work that I do, and particularly with my graduate students, 
that we talk a lot about how augmented reality, virtual reality, artificial intelligence, these are new writing environments. This is where writing and communication takes place. Um, and with augmented reality in particular, we spend a lot of time working with our students, graduate and undergraduate. And how do you how do you do the applied into that? How do you write AR apps that are going to have some kind of value? How are they going to become critical? How you know uh, through the Trace Innovation Initiative, which I'll talk about later, um, you know we developed a concept called augmented reality criticism, and how can we use augmented reality as a writing space? to do the critical work that we do in composition, that we do in the humanities. And we're gonna be doing some of the same kinds of things with AI and thinking about how we as humanities scholars can be critics of artificial intelligence. Um, you know, One of the things I'll be talking about with my students uh, in a couple of weeks when we talk about AI, you know, artificial intelligence tends to get this sort of negative position in both comp and also within the humanities and when we really start to look at where does that negative idea come from, it really is coming from the humanities because all the bad press, all of the imagined Skynet, iRobot, you know, all of this stuff, these are all artists and writers that are creating this cultural positioning of AI. So the humanities is playing a big role in how we understand AI. But then when we flip it and we look at how AI is, AI is gonna affect our research, we know that AI is a very powerful tool and we tend to get caught up in very limited views of what AI does, facial recognition, you know, data kind of work. Well, but you know, we're, we're in the humanities, we work with language, we're in comp. Natural language processing is not just the linguistics approach, it's also a writing approach. And so a lot of my own research projects now are very much tied to NLP strategies. Um, so I think that you know how it affects my teaching and writing is also you know thinking about how do we use AI in the construction of AI. So I I, I work a lot thinking about and writing about um, bot writers. Um, I know that in the latest issue of Composition Studies, the 50th anniversary uh, issue, uh, Chris Anson brings back up the important question of automated writing. Uh, grading and also brings up the issue of how are we as teachers going to address the idea of bot writers that you know we're surely going to see students turning in bot written essays and what does that do not just for how we think about plagiarism but also where who is the writer what does that do for subjectivity what does that do for agency when bot writers are you know, not just writing the stuff we're reading out there in social media and in the newspapers and other forms, but what happens when our students are using bots to write. So a lot of that meta conversation, that theoretical conversation are important, but I think that that applied conversation of how we're going to use it, what are we going to make with AI, what are we going to do with AI becomes really important to writing teachers. Are there any paths you'd like to see teacher scholars take up when studying artificial intelligence and composition? I don't know if there's anything I want to see. I mean, that's almost like, you know, you know, do I want the bot to take over or things like that? I just, I, I, I will be honest. I wish we were a little more open to the potential of what AI can do for comp and that we had more people really digging into how the AI could be applied in comp. Because I know, for instance, and in, whether it's in my department or whether within the discipline, that the moment that we start talking about automatic writing assessment and those sorts of things, everybody's bristles go up, right? You know, that, that, that's not teaching writing, that's policing, you know, the whole 
the whole kind of you know response that went on for a couple of years ago about not using machine grading, those kinds of things. And I, I get that. I'm on board with res that kind of a resistance. But I think by limiting our conversations that that's the only role AI is going to play in our lives as writing teachers, I think that's, excuse me, I think that's limiting. It sounds like you're trying to cast a future where artificial intelligence and writing isn't perceived negatively. The side that talks about the, the affordances of artificial intelligence to the teaching of writing that isn't always present in current conversations. Well, frankly, that's a cultural shift. I mean, that's one of those things that's going to take time that, you know, as as junior faculty, as grad students are becoming more accustomed to and adept at the use of AI and what will emerge. And then uh, the rest of us, crusty old writing teachers, retire and put our, uh, you know, our number two pencils and things away. That'll change over time. I mean, that's just how culture works. You know, the, the, those of us in the, the older guard of things will have to, you know, quit defending the, uh, the, the, the sort of traditional idea of the essay or, you know, whatever else we hold dear as part of our writing pedagogy. But, you know, this, this is nothing new. I mean, you look at Dennis Barron's work or somebody, you know, we've been talking about the changes in writing technologies forever and how, you know, when the pencil, the blackboard, the printing press, you name it, everybody who was already doing things one way complained, oh, this is going to ruin writing. This is going to ruin thinking. You know, people are going to have access to knowledge they shouldn't have. It's the standard response to a new technology. Give it time. We'll all be dealing with AI one way or the other, and most of us will embrace it and we'll create all kinds of new writing pedagogies. I mean, it does, you know, it does beg the question, how nostalgic are we as a discipline to hang on to what we think writing is, how writing ought to be taught and what comes next? I'm a you know, big fan of the what comes next question. Sid, your teaching and research also explore eco-composition. I'm thinking about your article almost 20 years ago, Breaking Ground in Eco-Composition. How do you define eco-composition and how do you invite students to explore eco-criticism and oceanic criticism in your writing classes? Yeah, wow, you're digging deep, man. 20-year-old research, right? Um, yeah, so um, eco-comp and eco-criticism, you know, eco-comp kind of evolved out of uh, eco-composition. Um, I will go ahead and give a plug that Madison Jones at University of Rhode Island and I have a new collection coming out with NCTE called Rhetorical Ecologies. They really look at a lot of that history of where the ecological turn in comp came from. And for me, eco-comp really has two kinds of definitions. One was the original definition was basically, how are we writing about nature? How are we writing about environment? And it sort of took those compositional element, elements that we were learning as comp theorists and really kind of situated them within a new environmentalist turn. Um, Asley Four Cs was formed, I think in 96, 97, um, and really sort of was there thinking about how do we as writing theorists also theorize how we're writing about and creating the subject of nature. But at the same time for me, just because my work tends to be less pedagogical and more theoretical, I was also very interested in how we were taking or how we could take ecological methodologies, methodologies that focused on relationships between subject and environment and not necessarily you know, natural environment, but the places in which we write and how could we form, sort of formulate and theorize how writing happens ecologically? And I think that that was really more of the ecological term that I was interested in was how can we really think about writing as a component of ecological relationships? 
Now, the eco-criticism stuff's always just been sort of a side interest to me. And ever since, you know, grad school, um, and in fact, in that same issue of composition studies that Chris Anson's piece on AI is in there, I've got a piece about sort of the evolution of ecological thinking in composition. And for me, there was always, you know, environmental humanities, people are always starting to ask, what can we do in an environmental crisis? And so I was always very interested in talking about environment, talking about ecology. Um, how do I bring those things to classes? Uh, again, sort of a twofold. One is subject area. I spend a lot of my time when I have students reading about things, reading about how we're, how we're defining and describing environmental ecological issues and how the writing and the rhetoric affect what we know and how we know. But I also spend time talking about the ecological relationships of our writing. How does our writing rhetorically circulate? You know, the Jim Rodolfo's concept of um, rhetorical velocity, uh, just how our writing moves. And particularly in a hyper-circulatory digital world that we live in, that notion of ecology and what happens in that relationship of writing to circulation and how changes occur, students really like to sit back and kind of engage what does it mean to enter into an ecology and to enter into a communicative relationship. So I spent a lot of time, again, doing that sort of twofold meta conversation, philosophical, theoretical conversation about how do we think about this, but then that applied of how do we make this work for our own writing. You serve as the director of the Trace Innovation Initiative at the University of Florida. Can you tell us a bit more about this initiative and the projects that you have going on? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, so yeah, we started Trace Innovation Initiative in the Department of English at UF probably about eight years ago. And the way it came about was I had a group of really, really talented grad students, some of whom were coders, some of whom were hackers, some of whom were video editors, some of whom were artists. And we kind of asked the question, how is it that we talk about emerging technology, but we're sort of have the technology foisted on us. We're always working with hand-me-down technology, right? First, it's got to be adapted elsewhere. So what happens if we start thinking about how we want our technologies to unfold? And so we got a little bit of uh, support from the chair and a little bit of support from the college. And basically, we had this tiny little closet office. And what we started talking about was how, how are augmented reality, how is virtual reality the new writing environment? We started applying for some grants. Um, one of the grad students was very interested in data mining. We ended up getting the, for that year, the largest uh, NEH grant for technology app development, uh, developed MassMine, which was a social media data mining app that we built. Um, and you know, we got a handful of other small grants and we were doing a lot of production in augmented reality, building augmented reality apps that we created a concept called ARC, Augmented Reality Criticism, where we were taking the critical work of the humanities of composition and rhetoric and literally writing apps that would allow you to do place-based critique. And you know, some of the examples were uh, some of our grad students had, a, had several undergrad classes augment a local natural space with uh, the local native narratives that were not being told on the signage there. Uh, we did a big project, uh, took us a couple of years at SeaWorld, where we created an, uh, an alternative tour at SeaWorld, an AR app that would give you the information that SeaWorld was not giving you. And our intent, is, so it was right around the time Blackfish came out. And so you could walk into the penguin exhibit and you would find out where their eggs are coming from and things like that. It wasn't editorial, it was fact-based, but we knew that we'd get in trouble for it. Um, but the intent wasn't necessarily to augment SeaWorld. That was just a high publicity factor. 
the intent was to have the discussion about who owns cyberspace around a particular location. You know, what critique can be leveled on a location? And so we did lots of those kinds of things. Um, COVID killed us, uh, you know, without being able to be here and talk about stuff. The, the real beauty of Trace has always been a collaborative space where grad students and faculty can, you know, play video games and talk about game studies and coding. And then how can we take this into publication or pedagogy or grant application? Well, fortunately, and I'm very excited about this, um, over the course of COVID, our dean sees the value in this and gave us a very large lab space that we have now populated with furniture and computers and screens, and we have more faculty involved. And beginning this fall, we're going to start those conversations again, and they're going to be tied to a lot of um, environmental humanities, digital humanities. We've got a podcast booth going in. We've got a video studio. We've got a UX station. Um, we've got Victor Del Hierro, who's on faculty here now doing sound study stuff with us, Laura Gonzalez doing UX stuff and tech comp stuff with us. And we've got a group of both grads and undergrads and other faculty um, who are eager to start having these conversations again. So we'll be moving forward with lots of new publications and grants and all kinds of opportunities. The thing I think that's best about Tracer in the past is a lot of our dissertations from our grad students have grown out of the conversations that go on in the trace room. In 2015, you wrote an edited collection called Writing Posthumanism, Posthuman Writing. What do you think posthumanist theory adds to writing studies and the teaching of writing? And is there a particular chapter in that collection that you find yourself going back to? Man, again, you're going all the old stuff, making me making me dig deep here. Um, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's a huge question because, first of all, posthumanism itself is a huge question, right? Because on the one hand, and this comes up in the collection, certainly, on the one hand, a lot of the conversation around posthumanism and the posthumanist thought is tied to right, directly to emerging technologies. You know, the, a lot of the conversations uh, about the posthuman have to do with emerging tech. Um, on the other hand, posthumanism has a lot to do with other forms of the non-human. You know, posthumanists, you know, one of the big components of that collection are the animal studies pieces, uh, you know, particularly early in that book, Lynn Warsham's piece, um, uh, Diane, Diane Davis's piece, um, you know, lots of animal studies stuff that goes on there. So for, I think for me, that what posthumanism really sort of brings to the overall conversation at a sort of core level is the destabilizing and the disruption of the naturalized subject. Um, you know, particularly when I tie in my thinking about eco-composition and eco-criticism and post-humanism, you know, that sort of human-centric approach to what the world is, right? You know, the subject needs to be dismantled there. Or need, you know, the primacy of the human subject needs to be dismantled. You know, everything I do with emerging technology, whether it's AI, AR, VR, has a lot to do with what does this technology do in creating what comes next for the human? You know, whether that's from thinking about technology as a human additive augmentation, you know, or whether that's about what else has subjectivity. Uh, and, you know, that to me, you know, comp and retcomp and, you know, writing studies, you know, it's always been about the subject, the writing subject, right? Um, you know, and the writing subject to me is such a problematic concept 
you know, even the concept of the student subject, you know, that what posthumanism brings in is the ability to say, yeah, but that notion of subject is so unstable that we can't really rely on that notion. And, you know, we create, you know, sort of master narratives about human primacy as, you know, we're the only writers and we're, you know, writing changes the world. Yeah, well, you know, what about bot writing? What about, you know, signal using animals? Or what about, you know, all, all these other things that we're starting to recognize are different kinds of ways of thinking about subjectivity. And, you know, that to me is sort of the real key there. But you asked about the piece that I go back to. That's tough. I, I Admittedly, honestly, I don't go back to that. I, I have this, you know, once I get a collection on the shelf, I'm on to what comes next. But, and, you know, and a lot of those pieces really stand out for me. That was a really, of all the collections I've done, that was one that I got, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of all the work I've done. And I'm really proud of the contributors I've had to all of my collections. But that one, for some reason, really stands out, um, you know, because besides having just, you know, incredible scholars like Warsham and Davis and Bailiff and, you know, Kate Birdsall and Julie Drew, you know, Kyle Jensen, Christy Fleckenstein. I mean, these are just, you know, incredible scholars. Sean Morey, you know, Jeff Rice. I think it's the Morey piece that probably goes, that I go back to the most. But I have to admit that's probably because maybe since that or before he's who I work with the most uh, of that list. And so, you know, he and I talk about stuff all the time. So coming back to that tailed piece, the long tail piece is sort of part of our, our regular conversation about such things. So, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to pick favorites from that collection of all collections, but I, I have to admit that's probably the one that I talk about the most. Thanks, Sid. And thank you, Pedagog listeners and followers. Until next time.